Good morning. If you can't tell, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. Thanks, Abigail, for reading that for us. Um, you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 38 today. My name is Colin. Uh, if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, uh, we've been in a study called Hope, or looking at Hope. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Matt looked at Hope in the Silence. Or two weeks ago was Hope in the Waiting. I apologize. Two weeks ago was Hope in the Waiting. Or what do we do whenever we feel like God has made these promises, but it's still in this in-between phase? Uh, that was a great sermon. I'd encourage you to check it out. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt brought the word on what does it mean to have hope in the silence, right? When we think God isn't speaking. Uh, and Matt actually got up and he stood here for a minute and a half and made some of you very uncomfortable uh, waiting to emphasize silence. So I'd encourage you to check that one out as well. I've got two more shout-outs before we jump in. Uh, the first is uh, one of my youth interns, Emery McNeely, came to me a few months ago and said, hey, man, uh, I want to help develop my uh, skills and gifts as a teacher. I was like, well, I don't think I know too much, but we can hang out. Uh, so we actually worked on this sermon together, and so I'm super indebted to him and his brain. He's extremely smart, and we're just gifted different ways. So it was really, really fun doing the work on this together. So, Emery, I really appreciate you, man. Uh, and then... Uh, a little bit of a note, kind of a warning as we step into this passage. Uh, the youth group, we've done Psalm 23 the past six weeks, and we just finished it up. It's a great study by Matt Chandler. Uh, but Matt gives a warning. And he says, hey, when we come to passages like Psalm 23, like the birth of Jesus, like the crucifixion of Jesus, it's really, really easy to kind of go on to autopilot. Right? Oh, I know this story. I know how this ends. Like, plot twist, she gets pregnant. Like, she gives birth to Jesus. He becomes the Messiah, or he is the Messiah. Like, we know these things, most of us know them intellectually because we're familiar with the story. Um, but we can kind of just go into autopilot, we can gloss over, and we can just wait to lunch. Uh, and I would encourage us today to lean in, right, to step back maybe, like take a deep breath, like refresh your Christmas perspective. Uh, and let's step into this passage with fresh eyes today and see the new truth that God has for us. I think that this passage is super rich, super deep, uh, many layers of truth for us. So I pray today that we can do that together. So if you'll join me, let's pray and ask God to bless our time in his word together today. Uh, Jesus, as we look at you, we look at the word made flesh. God, I pray that as we step into this time with your word, that you would use your spirit. God, give us your spirit. Give us your grace to understand. Give us your wisdom to understand. God, give us your spirit and use your spirit to chip away at uh, God, the armor of our hard heart. God, the walls and defenses we've built up around us to deflect you or to deflect vulnerability or to deflect any sense of weakness. And I pray today, God, that we can put our walls down, that we can lay aside the act, lay aside the religious facade, and step into your truth, step into this bizarre encounter, uh, and God, that we might encounter you in this moment today. God, again, we ask you to speak through your word. God, speak through me. Uh, may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm really excited to go through Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 today. I think it's kind of broken down into five sections. I like to break things down into sections, so if you do, then you'll like that. If you don't, then I'm sorry. Uh, verses 26 through 29 are kind of like the introduction, right? The angel, his greeting. But verses 30 through 33 are the angel's message. Right? So you got introduction slash greeting, message. Verse 34 is Mary's question. Verses 35 through 37 are the angel's answer. And then verse 38 is Mary's response to this whole situation. All right, here we go. Let's just jump in. Verse 26. In the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now, what sixth month? Is this just the sixth month of the year? No. If you look at what the angel Gabriel says later in the passage to Mary, uh, he says, your, your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. Right? So this beginning of the story is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Right? He's using that as kind of a timeline or a guide for us to know uh, where we are in the story. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to Galilee. Who's Gabriel, right? Well, we know from earlier in chapter 1, if you were here last week, that Gabriel is an angel. He's kind of famous, right? He's a messenger of the Lord. He says, I stand in the presence of God, and he takes messages from God to whoever God wants him to go to. And apparently in Luke chapter 1, he's kind of on birth announcement duty, right? He goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and announces that they're going to have a baby, and Zechariah doesn't really believe him. We'll get into that later. And he comes here to Mary and delivers this news, this message Uh, that she's going to have a child. Verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Again, if you were here the past few weeks, Matt has already defined this word betrothed. But if you're not, uh, it's a little funny. Because in our culture, we don't really have a direct parallel. Uh, So betrothal is something in between, like being engaged and being married. It's like a legal engagement. Right, so the person proposes whatever that looks like. They're ready to get married. They are legally engaged. So they can't just be mad at each other and break up. Well, they would have to be divorced right, to end the betrothal. We see that in Matthew chapter 1. Right? Joseph finds out that his wife is pregnant. And before the angel visits him, I mean, his only other assumption is that she's been with another man. And you had to be a virgin to be betrothed. It's a culture. He says, all right, I'm going I'm to divorce her quietly. We see some of Joseph's character in that. He doesn't uh, divorce her publicly, but he says, I'm going to divorce her quietly until the angel uh, appears to him as well. So that's what betrothed means. Virgin, I assume most of us know what that means, right? Um, And I told the first service, uh, I don't know much about, like, health. I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not a doctor. But I know that virgins don't have babies, right? My baby's right there. Virgins don't have babies. It's just, I've learned that. No offense, wife. That's how, hey, that's what happens. We have a baby now. He's right there. So I'm not a doctor, but we're going to have to figure that out, right? If that was really embarrassing, then you can leave. I'm sorry. Probably didn't think that went through all the way. <laughs> right? But we're going to have to talk about that, right? And it might be a little bit awkward. Typically, virgins don't have babies. So what is that all about? We'll come to that. Who is Joseph? Who is Joseph? Joseph, it tells us, is of the house of David, right? It means his lineage traces back to King David. And we're going to come back to that. It's super important. But what we know about Mary and Joseph, their kind of cultural, social status, like they're not elite, right? They're not in ministry, right? They're not involved in the temple or priests or he's not a rabbi. Right? We know that he's, I mean, we have reason to believe he's pretty much like a middle, what's the word, middle class Average Joe, like carpenter slash mason, right? Like he's a blue-collar guy. So we can, like, take from this that Mary and Joseph weren't really anything special. He didn't have a seminary degree. Like, they didn't fill out an application to be parents for the birth of the Messiah. Like, they're just kind of your average people. Who is Mary? Well, we don't really know too much about Mary before verse 28, well, let's see what verse 28 says about her. The angel Gabriel comes to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I told the first service, like, this could be my whole sermon. 
This one verse, we could spend the whole time here. Let's break it down. He calls her favored one, and he says, the Lord is with you. And I mean, Emery, our work on this was really, really fun, so I really appreciate you, dude. The Greek word for favored one is a verb which means to make graceful or to honor with blessings. It gives kind of this image of like grace and blessings being poured out. That's this image of this word favored, favored one. This word is also the same word. That it's not used too often. It's used in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read this together. Uh, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The which he has blessed is the same exact verb as favored. Right? So he has favored us in the beloved. It's the same thing. So whenever the angel looks at Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one. Through the gospel, God the Father looks at us and says, Greetings, O favored one. It's the same. Right? And we have this tendency when we read the Bible, when we read about Mary or Abraham, Noah, like these big heroes of the faith, we have this tendency to want to put them on a pedestal. Right? To make them special so we can disassociate. Right, well, Mary was this and Mary was that. She was closer to God. She was the exalted one. She was the favored one. That's why she did what she did. I'm none of those things, so this is just a nice story. And we have to realize that the same exact word that the angel is calling her, God is calling us in the gospel. So we can't step away. We can't put space between that to make us more comfortable. We are favored in him through the gospel. And this is a big deal. Right? That's, that's a big deal. It's awesome. What else? What does he use next? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. If you look down verses 46 through 55, your Bible might say the Magnificat or Mary's song of praise or whatever you want to call it. This is Mary's response to this entire situation. And if you read it, I would really encourage you to read it, study it. We don't have time to today because it's just super, super rich. But if you read it and you look at it, you will see that over and over and over again, Mary is weaving these Old Testament references into her song of worship. One commentator said that she doesn't even directly quote anything from the Old Testament. She's just so familiar with it and it's so entrenched and rooted in her heart that it's just what naturally comes out in worship. That's awesome. Mary was like 15. That's an awesome example of her knowledge of the Bible, right? Remember, her Bible would have been only the Old Testament. Right? She's living in Luke chapter 1, so she only has the Old Testament. And so her response, her worship song, shows us how much she knows about the Old Testament, about how God has chosen to reveal himself to the nation of Israel and to the world. So, if we know that, right, we can conclude that, then we look at uh, the second half of this greeting, the Lord is with you. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the book of Judges, right, when we talk, First Samuel with the youth group, we talk about this cycle of Judges, right? Israel is close to God. It's the beginning of the cycle. Israel turns to sin and idols. Israel gets captured and gets taken under enemy occupation and prays to be delivered. God sends a deliverer, a.k.a. a judge... That judge overthrows, fights, kills, does whatever needs to happen for them to be back free and they come back to God. And it's just a cycle over and over and over again. It's called the book of Judges. 
Judges chapter 6, we're introduced to this guy named Gideon. And the backstory, the context is that Israel was in the cycle where they're turning from God, right? They're turning to idols, they're turning to sin. And so this group of people called the Midianites, they're like, all right, our turn. And they come in and they occupy Israel. They occupy their land. It says that the Israelite people were hiding in wells and in clefts in the rock and in caves to try and avoid being killed by the Midianites. Right? So they're in a bad spot, right? It's what we need to know. Uh, Judges chapter 6 It says the angel of the Lord appears and sits beneath a tree, which, I mean, that's just awesome. What does that mean? I don't know. It's really cool. But this is what he says to Gideon. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Sound familiar? So if Mary would have known her Old Testament books, the Lord is with you, spoken by an angel to a human. She's like, huh. This seems a little bit familiar. Well, what happens in Judges chapter 6? Right? Mighty warrior. Gideon says, hey, uh, Mr. Angel, sir, I don't know how much you know, but my clan is the least clan of Israel, and I am the weakest one in my clan. So I think you have the wrong number. What happens? God raises up Midian, uses him as a mighty warrior, and he takes his army to go confront the Midianites. But God says, hey, your army's too big. So they strip it down. They go to confront the Midianites. God says, your army's too big. So they end up with like 300 guys, right? And it's not in the movie 300. They don't have this epic war scene. God delivers them. God does a miracle and overthrows the Midianites. But it's not easy, right? That's kind of humiliating. That's, that's scary to step into a battle with like 100 times less people. And if you follow the rest of the story of Gideon, right? And it's war and it's conflict and it's trial and tribulation, So if Mary knows what typically comes after the words, the Lord is with you, we see why in verse 29, she was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled at the same. Now, if you just read at surface level, just the Lord's, the angel says, greetings, favored one, the Lord's with you. Like, why is she afraid? Why is she scared? She doesn't have any reason to be messed up by that. But if you know the implication behind these words, of course Mary's afraid. Of course she's scared, because she knows that Abraham, Moses, Noah, these, these pillars of the faith in the Old Testament, none of their lives were easy. Look at their life before God, and then God steps in and calls them out. Their life is way more difficult, way more complicated afterwards. So Mary has a weighty thing to expect from this angel. Verse 29 She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And there's a few things about why she was troubled. She knows the Old Testament. She knows, like, again, like I mentioned, that it's going to be tough. The story of Gideon, the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, the story of Noah. Like, it's not going to be easy. But we can also see that she doesn't just, like, how differently would this read if Mary says, you know what? Hey, that's me. I am the favored one. What's up? Like, what do you want me to do? I'm pretty favored. I've been feeling pretty obedient lately. Like, what, should, what would you like me to do, oh angel, sir? But she doesn't do that, right? That would be arrogant and prideful, right? That would be a pretty weird way to receive an angel. But she also doesn't immediately deflect. She doesn't just say, hey, wrong house. She doesn't pull a Gideon and say, that's, that's not me. She's... Troubled, and she's trying to discern what this is all about. 
Verse 30, the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, excuse me, there will be no end. This is kind of the next section, verses 30 through 33. The annunciation, the announcement, the message. What does the angel actually have to say? Now, we have to notice at the beginning, verse 30, the angel says, Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found a favor with God. So again, he's bringing in the favor. He's saying, hey, why shouldn't you be afraid? Because you have favor with God. Again, us, right? When we are found in Christ, when we have that favor, when we have those blessings and grace poured out onto us through the gospel, and that, that kind of removes any room for fear. First John chapter 4, there's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, like there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if we remember these truths... If we let the angel not only speak to Mary, but remind us of these bigger truths of the gospel story, then that helps us be less afraid. It helps us when we're in difficult, unexpected situations to hear, do not be afraid. And notice, it's no small thing that the angel says Mary. He doesn't just say, don't be afraid, person, child, daughter. He says, don't be afraid, Mary. It's personal. This call from fear to intimacy is personal. Verses 31 through 33 are his main message. This is his delivery. This is the announcement. Behold, you will conceive in your womb a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. There's five things he says here. You will conceive a son. And we already talked about it. She's a virgin. How is that going to happen? We'll have to... This, it's a, something we're going to have to figure out, right? We'll have to deal with that fact. She's a virgin, but the angel is promising that she's going to bear a son. And spoiler alert, like, I, don't want to, I don't want you to think I'm going to give you three clear points for how you can understand this divine conception. Right? Like, we're not going to be able to understand it, but we're going to talk about it. You'll conceive a son, you'll name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Yeshua, or Joshua, which means... Yahweh, or Jehovah, is salvation. So if you think about that, in the context of the story of the Messiah, in the context of the story of this overarching theme that God is going to redeem his people, I mean, how awesome is it that they're like, hey, you're going to give birth, and you're going to name him God is salvation. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him God is salvation. Number three, he will be great and called son of the most high. The angel is just letting Mary know the character of this son. He will be great. Psalm chapter one, Psalm 110. Right? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So it's going ahead and saying that Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be exalted. He's going to be lifted up above all else. Notice it doesn't say he's going to accomplish great things. He will be known for doing great things, for solving great problems, for bringing great peace. He's not known for what he's going to do. He is great. He will be called the son of the most high. She's, the angel is already letting her know this is going to be God's son. 
Now, four and five are these big points, these big, I mean, pretty rich, uh, historically, Old Testament prophecy, deep ideas. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. There's emphasis on his father, David, right? Joseph is of the line of David. So Jesus being born into this household is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is being promised to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I, God, will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a prophecy. right? You can read it in the small picture right? that Solomon builds the house. Solomon's the one that's going to build the earthly temple. But this is a bigger prophecy about one of David's faraway sons. right? Jesus is going to be born of his line. Also, Isaiah chapter 9 speaks of this prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, we sang it this morning, of the greatness of... Of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and with righteousness. I mean, these are huge ideas from the Old Testament that are coming to play in this birth announcement right before Mary's eyes. And so again, we can't forget, Mary would have known these scriptures. Mary would have known these prophecies, these promises, these indicators of the Messiah. Can you imagine what's going through her mind as the angel is giving her newsflash after newsflash, like promise after promise, prophecy fulfilled after prophecy fulfilled? Those are big, big things. Notice that it says God is going to give him the throne of his father David. It's not going to be taken by force. right? We see that in David's sons. After David is king of Israel... David's sons are they're getting older, and they like try to form a coup. They try to assassinate their own dad, and they split the kingdom into Israel and Judea. And like David has to go and hide because his sons are fighting over the throne. Well, they're not the Messiah. That's not the promised king. Flash forward to Jesus. Jesus walks into the earth, and the Jews, some of the Jews, are like, hey, great, our deliverer is here. Let's go kill the Romans. It's time. It's time for Israel to be raised up again. We're going to overthrow this oppressive government. Come on, Jesus. Jesus walks away. Time after time again, they try to make Jesus king. Earthly king. Political, military king. And he walks away. Because that's not the kingdom he's about. He wasn't trying to overthrow that temporary small kingdom. He was trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't concerned. Now, is he concerned about oppressive governments? Yes. Are they going to be overthrown one day? Yes. Read the book of Revelation. Read God's promises to his people. But that wasn't Jesus' physical, earthly goal. We see that, that he's going to be given the throne of his father, David. He says he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And when Emory and I discussed this, we said, hey, what's the difference between sit on the throne of his father David, but reign over the house of Jacob forever. They're both there, so both must mean something. Well, if you know anything about Jacob, right, Jacob is this, I mean, I think the story is insane. Right? He looks at God and says, hey, let's wrestle. So Jacob wrestles with God and says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And God, like, reaches out and rips out his hip flexor. He says, you going to keep wrestling now? I got it right here. And it says, Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life, but God renames him Israel. 
one who has wrestled with God or who has struggled with God. So this phrasing, the house of Jacob, really could be read the house of Israel. And if you know the context of Mary and Jewish faith, then the house of Jacob, like that lineage, right, the family of Abraham, the house of Jacob, it all just means the people of God. It means the people of God. And it actually was so ingrained in their culture, Paul had to speak against it. Paul said, you all think that you're saved, you all think that you're God's people because of your blood, because you're a descendant of Abraham. But he says salvation comes through Christ. Right? So we see that idea play out in Paul's writings. So we can really read this as, a, as the, the Messiah, the chosen one, is going to sit on the throne of David over the kingdom, which would have no end, and is going to reign over the house of God's people forever. Now, those are two huge ideas. I mean, you could go to seminary, entire seminary courses on how those things relate to the Old Testament. So, so deep. I'm not that smart. So we're just going to move on. That's a lot, right? You remember that Mary would know these prophecies. Mary would know these scriptures. She's processing all of this in the moment. The angel didn't come and say, here's the memo. Here's what we're going to talk about next week. I want you to do your reading. I want you to get caught up on Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9. I want you to go ahead and think about how you're going to respond to this proposition. Now the angel appears and says, hey, you're going to bear a son. And he's going, to be, he's going to be the one. He's going to be the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, the deliverer, the redeemer. How does Mary respond? Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary's question is pretty valid, right? I mean, it's pretty honest. And part of this is like, we can appreciate Mary's humanity and her humility. Right? Because she's not just closing her eyes and saying, in the back of my mind, I don't know how this will happen, but I'm going to say, I trust you. And I'm just going to religiously, blindly follow you until whatever. You can do it. It's okay. I'm not even going to ask any questions. She doesn't. She says, how? But now we have to notice that she asks a different question than we see Zechariah and we see Sarah in Genesis 18 and Zechariah in, in, earlier in Luke 1. The angel comes to Zechariah in the temple, says, hey, your wife is going to have a son. Zechariah says, essentially, like, don't you know that we're too old? How is this going to happen? We're too old. Genesis 18, God promises that Abraham and Sarah are going to have a son, and Sarah laughs at God. If you're taking notes, write down, don't laugh at God. It's a good note. It's a side note. (laughs) Right? But she says, we're too old. That's impossible. See, to me, I read those as doubts, and I read Mary's question as a question of faith, a question of mystery. How is this going to happen? She's not giving an excuse, saying, I'm too old, I'm I'm past that time. Saying, God, how are you going to do this? I mean, we can see how the angel responds, validates her question. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let's stop there. The angel answers her question, first of all, right? So he doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't rebuke her or reprimand her or like say, hold up. Hold out your wrist so I can smack it and then I'll give you the answer. No, the angel answers her question. 
He honors her that way. What does he say? The Holy Spirit is how Mary is going to get pregnant. If you underline in your Bible, if you circle or highlight or anything, I would underline overshadow. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, I mean, I feel like every, everything we've taught recently, there's so much Old Testament themes being woven into this entire story. Mary knew the Old Testament. Mary would have recalled when the angel says, overshadowed you. Hey, how many times in the Old Testament did God reveal himself as a cloud? Well, when they're leaving Egypt, they're being led through the desert to the promised land by a cloud, right? A cloud by day. When Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, they're enshrouded by a cloud. It says God, or Moses spoke to God face to face in the cloud, right? Others outside can't see, they can't understand. But the cloud is where God is meeting, where God's presence is working. When the tabernacle is complete, the cloud of the presence descends. And everyone says, hey, I don't know, I don't know how to explain that. I can't understand it, but I know what that is. That's God. I mean, the cloud coming down and anointing the tabernacle with the presence of God. In the New Testament, Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes some guys up to the mountain and he turns into the holy, incarnate, like resurrected Jesus. And they fall on their face and they're like, let's build a temple here because this is God. But what happens, they're enshrouded with a cloud. So we see over and over and over again this imagery. And I mean, what, what's a cloud? Like you can't see through it. You can't understand what's behind it, but you can tell it's there. It's enshrouding. It's, and I love the word mystery. Right? This is, this is such a mystery. In case you haven't figured it out, like I'm not going to be able to explain to you like with a diagram or with like 17 bullet points. Like this is how Mary got pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Like... It's a mystery. Anyone that tries to tell you they figured it out how it works is wrong and you should run away. It's a mystery for a reason. The presence of God is a mystery. Right? The things that happen within the presence of God are a mystery. And so Mary to hear that the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. The cloud of His presence is going to surround you. And He's going to do a work that we can't understand. I mean, that, that had to be comforting for her to hear that the presence of God revealed to his people is going to be around you and is going to be produced through you. That's awesome. That, that had to be encouraging. Keep going, verses 36 and 37. Behold, your relative Elizabeth... Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. Sorry, ending in verse 35. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. That's why she had to be a virgin. Right? For Jesus to be called holy, holy means set apart. For him to be a human that is set apart from all other humans, he had to come a different way. He had to come a different way. It's just, that's just how it had to be. So she had to be a virgin. This mysterious conception had to happen so Jesus could come. And not only so he could come and the divine and the human could be one nature... Right? Jesus didn't put aside half of his godness and half of his humanness to be 50-50. Right? Jesus is the divine and the human put together into one. Which we can't explain, right? It's another mystery. But also he had to be holy so he could be perfect so he could take our sin. So he could fulfill the promises and the prophecies of God. 
that he was going to make a way for reconciliation back to himself. That couldn't be accomplished through human means. It had to be accomplished through something different, which is why Mary had to be a virgin. Isaiah 7 tells us this prophecy. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So again, Mary would have known that scripture and all of this. I mean, I can't imagine the weight of all of this in one encounter in Mary's mind and spirit. Verses 36 and 37. We're almost done, I promise. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel is saying, hey, like, good question. How is this going to happen? He answers it. The Holy Spirit says, by the way, just in case you're wondering, your relative Elizabeth, who you know to be old and barren, she's like three months away from giving birth to a son. Just wanted you to know. So God, through Gabriel, is reminding her, showing her God's faithfulness to encourage her faithfulness. God's saying, look at what I've done here. Don't doubt that I can do it here. Right? We see that in God's story over and over and over again. That's where we get the word Ebenezer. Right? God's people, they do something dramatic. God says, turn around, grab rocks, or do whatever you're going to do. Build an Ebenezer to remind yourself what I did. Because you'll forget. So remind yourself what I've done. So that's what Gabriel's doing. Gabriel is pointing Mary's attention to God's faithfulness in Elizabeth's situation. And he's saying, don't doubt that this can be your situation. Like, don't doubt that God has the power to do that for you as well. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. Let's just pause for a second. What is going through Mary's mind? She has been hit with so much rich, deep, prophecy-filled news about her. Right? This isn't something that she can like postpone. Right? She doesn't really get the option to take some time to think about it. She doesn't get the option to consult Joseph about it. I mean, this is, this is heavy. I mean, the responsibility that Mary is going to have in raising the Messiah, being the mother of Emmanuel, that's a, that's a big decision, I think. That's a big ask. Verse 38, how does Mary respond? This is so, this is so crucial. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How does she start? She says, I'm your servant. I, let me just make it clear, in this situation, I am the servant and you're the king. Like, let's not mix that up. <laughs> Positionally, I'm the servant. You're the master. You're the king. Whatever you say goes. Let it be to me according to your word. She doesn't say, well, Gabriel, like, nice to meet you. I really appreciated point B and point D, but everything else, like, I'm not super comfortable with that, so, like, find a different Mary. There's a bunch of them to choose from. Mary doesn't deflect. She doesn't have any excuses for why it shouldn't be her. Well, 
I did this yesterday, and I know I should be doing this, and I'm not. So here's why I've messed up and squandered and why I don't deserve this. Right? She doesn't, like we mentioned earlier, she doesn't pridefully receive it. She's not like, yes, I am the favored one. I get to be the mother of the Messiah. I'll go down in history. Right? She doesn't respond either of those ways. She simply, humbly responds, whatever you say, I'll receive it. Whatever you say. The whole message, your entire word, I receive it. Again, not just the part that I like, not the part that's comfortable. I mean, have you stopped to think about the fact that... So Joseph, right, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is ready to divorce Mary, and he has a dream. Gabriel speaks to him, says, hey, bro, don't, don't do that. This is actually legit. This is me. This is God. We're not told that that happens to any other person. Mary's family, Joseph's family, their friends at church, their neighbors. We're not told that any of them hear from the Lord to fix their opinion of Mary. And then, consequently, of Joseph for marrying her and staying with her. That reputation is going to follow them all their lives. But surely, God, that, wasn't, that can't be your plan, right? We see Jesus, they're like, hey, isn't that, isn't that Jesus? Like, isn't that Joseph's son? Wink, wink. Isn't that the one that, like, not really Joseph's son? I mean, can you imagine how that followed him his entire life? Followed Mary, followed Joseph? This was not an easy yes. We don't really often think about, we're so familiar with the story, we don't often think about maybe Mary had plans Maybe she had dreams and hopes and goals and ambitions for her life. Maybe so did Joseph. Maybe they had plans for their relationship, for their marriage, for their future family. And all of those things had to be going through her mind. She responds, whatever you say, king. It's just a reminder that I'm the servant and you're the king. So, I mean, there's the story. Now what? Like, what does it mean for us? I would be willing to bet all the money I have that none of us in here are going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Right? So what does this story have to do with us? What does this story have to do with how we respond to life and life circumstances and situations? Right? This message is supposed to be called Hope in the Unexpected. Well, I doubt any of this was expected by Mary. Right? I don't think the day before that in her prayer closet that she got a little memo from God, hey, here's what to expect tomorrow. Your entire life is going to be turned upside down. But we can see in Mary a level of preparation. Right? She was familiar with the Old Testament. She knew the prophecy. She knew what the Messiah was going to look like. So when the time came, she was ready to receive him. Right? She says that she tried to discern what sort of greeting this was, and after she discerned it, hey, this lines up with Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 and 2 Samuel. Like, all right, I'm in. But I mean, that situation, like, their life would never be the same. Right? They have to flee political and religious persecution after he's born. Right? Their lives are uprooted.
and I just want to encourage you, and I want to ask the question, like, in faith, we have such an easy tendency to say, like, well, if this doesn't wrap up in a neat, clean bow, if this doesn't make sense, if this is dangerous or risky or scary or might, might result in something not great for me, then that can't be God. That can't be God. God doesn't want that for me. God doesn't want me to step into a situation where I might lose money or might be put in risk. God doesn't want me to go into a situation where my reputation might be endangered. Literally, the mother of the Messiah was defined by scandal the rest of her life. God didn't fix it in the moment. Now, us in the, past, I mean, us in the future, right, we can see back and see Mary's humility and her grace and her exaltation towards God, right? But in the moment, I'm sure she didn't feel that way. Right? But what, where did the hope come from? Her hope came from her knowledge and her intimacy with the Father. Her hope came because she knew the outcome. She knew the future promises. She knew how the story ended. She knew who Emmanuel was was going to be, that he would redeem Israel and he would redeem the world. Fast forward 33 years. I'm sure when she was watching her son be murdered by an oppressive government, it didn't really feel that way. When she stood there with just one of his followers, watching her son suffocate to death, that it didn't feel like all these promises of God were coming true. So we have to step back and ask ourselves, what promises and what things are, is God trying to move in our life that we're writing off as not God? Right? We heard from Matt this past few weeks, God is always moving in the background. God is always drawing us towards himself. God is always doing work. But if we see these things in Mary's life, she could have easily wrote those away, even as from the enemy. They killed my son. That's not of God. This harmed my reputation. That's not of God. And these things were the most clear things from God of her entire life. And so us as most of us are, you know, middle class Americans, like, it's so easy for us to see anything that might be dangerous or hard or difficult. We said, that can't be from God. God wouldn't call me there. God wouldn't ask me to do that. God wouldn't want me to risk my reputation for his name's sake. He would never do that. And I just want us today, we can see the hope in the unexpected situation, right? And when things come up in life that are hard or difficult or unexplainable, when we remember who God is, right? We remember his promises to us. And we remember that it was never promised to be easy. It was never promised to be pretty, but he promises to be there with us, right? In the cloud of his presence, to be God with us. God can look at us and say, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. As the band comes back out, uh, really, really quick. Mary received the Messiah through the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It's kind of the main point of today. Don't miss on the fact that you have received the Holy Spirit through the work of the Messiah. It's the same thing. We have been given God with us through the work of Christ. That should lead our hearts to worship, lead our hearts to respond to him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself this way. That we can read and study and just really be challenged with your presence. God, I ask uh, as we sing another song and as we go and worship today, God, that we can truly live lives 
that point to the fact that Emmanuel has come. That God is with us. That we are favored by God, not because of our merit and not because of our sin, but because of the work of Christ. I pray that that truth will drive us out to share that truth with everyone we encounter, God. To live a life that declares the King of kings and the Lord of lords came as a baby. Not as an oppressive king, not as someone to overthrow governments. But as a baby to live a life of a servant king. And to ultimately lay that life down for us. God, we ask that you would meet us now as we respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.